Hey, good morning, Sojourn. How are you all? I am so happy to be here. Uh, I have, uh, my ministry is based down in Birmingham, Alabama, next to Church of the Highlands, which is my home church and sending church, the second largest church in America. And this is my second home church. I am not joking when I say I don't flatter. I don't believe you lie. If you lie, you go to hell. So I don't do that. I just love all of you here at Sojourn. You've been such good friends for all the years. We've been on a spiritual journey together more than 25 years, I think, when I think about it. Um, I just love this church. I love Pastor uh, Terry and Susan and now Pastors Chris and Vanessa, they have just been wise, godly. They have built a church that lasts. Jesus didn't say have fruit. He said have fruit that lasts. They have built this church on a solid foundation that will weather any storm that is coming our way. So I consider this my second home church, and I feel blessed to have two. I'm kind of schizophrenic about that, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, you guys, and so many of you prayed for me. Last year, November 3rd, election day, I got COVID. And on that day, the doctor at the emergency room said, we're sending you home, we're not giving you a bed, you're gonna die, make peace with God and man. And over the next two months, four different doctors told me, you're gonna die, we won't even admit you to the hospital. You know, make peace with God and man. Four doctors, but God saved my life when finally, yeah, through your prayers and the prayers of others. Uh, literally for two months, I, I had to sleep up, sitting up in a recliner because my lungs would fill with uh, liquid and I couldn't breathe. And I can't even remember anything about those two months. I can't remember a thing other than I prayed over and over Romans 8, 11. If the same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives within us, that spirit who raised Jesus will give life to our mortal bodies. By the end of January, when I could finally get out of this chair after about almost three months, my doctor sent me to a lung specialist. He was from Sri Lanka, not a believer. He looked at my x-ray from the first day and he said, not one person in America that had this x-ray is alive today. What is the difference with you? And I said, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his power and the prayers of the saints that I'm here today. He started to cry. He said, this is the first hope I've had in this pandemic. He said, in just the past three weeks, I've lost 250 patients with an x-ray just like this. He said, so this gives me hope, you know. And it's only because of the Lord Jesus. I know many of you prayed for me. Thank you. I got sick on November 3rd, election day. It was prophetic because I am leading a movement uh, for revival in America we'll talk about. And so attack, an attack came against me because I believe our country is terminal. Where we're at, we're going down fast. We'll talk about that. But... And that whole time from November 3rd to December 27th, in fact, I've got to talk to one of my doctors. The main doctor treating me uh, wasn't there in Colorado Springs. She was in uh, Kansas. She'd call about five times a day. Um, and just she'd ask, she'd get my readings and everything. And then she'd, under her breath, go, 
I'm losing you. I'm losing you. You won't survive another 10 hours. What can I do? <laughs> so I want to say, listen, I need to talk to you about your bedside manner. <laughs> um, that wasn't the thing I really needed to hear right then. <laughs> you know, so, so many times I heard that on the phone. I'm losing you. What am I not thinking of? So thank you for your prayers. You kept me alive. Literally, it was two, uh, it was two months when I was literally on the verge of death, it wasn't until December 27th, the doctor said, this is the first day I think you might live, right? And, and I was praying for our country. Our country was in a terminal condition from um, shenanigans happening in the election to um, our moral decay to everything else. It was intercession. My life was intercession being poured out for the state of our country. And I thought... God was saying our country's terminal, it's going to die too. And I was praying that, you know, God, don't let us save America, you can do it. And when uh, my doctor said, today's the first day I think you could live, I still had another five months of recovery to go. And during that time, I said, God, you saved my life. Why didn't you, you could heal me instantly. Why didn't you? And the Lord said, Fred, the air around you is good. It's the receptacle of the air, your lungs, that is sick. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is wanting to move with power in America, but the receptacle, the church, is sick. And we need to see revival in the church in order to see awakening in America. So I'm still dealing with issues because the church isn't all healed up yet. And it's like Paul says in Colossians 1, he said, I make up what is lacking in the death of Christ in my body. I make it up. What's lacking in Christ's death on behalf of the church. See, Christ paid everything necessary for our salvation. There's nothing lacking in his death for salvation. But he didn't pay all the birthing pangs. And the inner, he didn't pay for the birth of all ministry. We get to be co-creators with God. Just like Peter said, uh, uh, Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps. Right? We go through trials and tribulations in order to birth the ministry that we need to in order to see God move on the earth. So you guys, I want to tell you, you were on a, you were part of that spiritual journey too. Your prayers literally kept me alive. Thank you for your support in every way. I can't thank you guys enough. You've been real partners with me in the gospel for well over 25 years. God's done big things. And we're about to go on a new journey together. So the first, let's laugh a little bit. I collect signs. You guys, some of you know that. Uh, I've got a few more. Uh, there's a place in Colorado, a community center, that puts up some cool signs like this one. Maybe broccoli doesn't like you either. <laughs> I relate to that one. Somebody's therapist knows all about you. <laughs> Good moms let you lick the beaters. Great moms turn them off first. <laughs> Last Monday's apathy group meeting has been canceled <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> okay, and there's a Mexican restaurant in Austin. Procrastinators unite tomorrow. <laughs> um, or drinking coffee in the morning helps others live longer. <laughs> That's true in my life. I don't want to see or talk to anyone before coffee. So... Um, 
prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> That's a big problem right there. <laughs> okay. Okay, let me tell you where we're at. You guys, listen. Um, no, I'll leave that up there. Listen, you guys, the world's in bad shape. Our country's in bad shape. We're going into actually civilizational collapse. Woohoo! <laughs> There's a great book uh, that's come out. It says, uh, uh, it's the end of the world and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's talking about, you know, believers are going to see, you know, God move in a great way when sin abounds, grace abounds, and the power of God abounds, right? So you guys, we're in bad shape as a country. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we are in bad shape as a country. We are in civilizational collapse. We're beyond the point of no return. Only Jesus can save our country at this point. That has radical implications for global evangelization. I want to tell you about those, and I want to inspire you that God can fix everything that ails us. F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, uh, once said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. He said one should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. That's how I am. You know, when I was laying in, uh, sitting in that chair actually for two months, couldn't get up out of that chair even for another couple months, I kept praying that Paul prayer said, you know, is it better to be with Jesus in heaven or stay here and work? I was praying that. I don't know which is better, but I said, God, you know, I don't know which one you want here, but I'll just tell you what I want. I want to stay here because this is going to be the most amazing time for the body of Christ in America as we see the church of Jesus Christ rise up with power in this dark season and implement the victory of Jesus in our country. So I don't want to miss that. I was so thankful that God let me live because we're going to have an awesome time. It's going to be horrible, but it's also going to be awesome. I'm just telling you, it's going to be both. You know, in Luke 5, when Jesus got into the boat, he said, let down the nets for the catch of fish, right? And they caught so many fish, the boats began to sink, the nets broke, when you get Jesus in your boat, you get the miracles of the fish, and you get crisis. Your boat sinks, your nets break, and you get miracles. So it's going to be horrible, and it is going to be awesome. And so get ready for that. It's coming, and it's going to be a blast. Okay? Uh, one of our top historians at Harvard and Stanford just wrote a book, Doom, The Politics of Catastrophe. Let me tell and it's true. Um, there is politics and catastrophe, you guys. In fact, I want to tell you the global elites, the globalists, the secularists are using the global pandemic to rapidly advance their agenda to tear down America and implement some global governmental and economic systems. For the first time, they've actually agreed on a global tax rate. All countries, you know, can't have a lower tax rate than this, which would give it an advantage for international business. So we're moving quickly. Uh, they're using the pandemic uh, for negative purposes, okay? And in our country, we're in bad shape. I just want to show you briefly, then we're going to focus on the answers, okay? Um, just last week, China became more wealthy than America, 
Okay, so we're the second most wealthy country in the world. Now China has overtaken us. Why that decline? Because our problem isn't economics or politics or racial division. None of those are our real problem. Our real problem is moral root rot at the foundation of the skyscraper of America that's built on that foundation, right? And the only thing that will fix it is rebuilding the moral foundation. It doesn't matter what people you change in the offices in the sky, in this skyscraper, whether it's political office, whether it's a people in banks and government, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if you change those people in those offices. Because the foundation is rotten, the building will collapse. Actually, what we're doing, I'll just tell you honestly, um, we're, we're pushing out the foundation of Judeo-Christianity and the secularists are trying to build a foundation of critical race theory, uh, social justice, and many other things that are issues we need to address, but they're doing it in the wrong way. They're trying to, you cannot take a foundation out of a building and then put another one underneath it when it's been built already. It's impossible. That's why we're heading towards collapse, right? Well, China's wealthier than us now. Their navy has just become the world's largest, larger than our navy. Uh, a senior general warns China's military progress is stunning as U.S. is hampered by brutal bureaucracy to rebuild our military, right? So China is far outstripping us economically, militarily. One of our top generals, Mark Milley, said China's hypersonic missile test about a month and a half or two months ago is one of the largest shifts in global geostrategic power. And so China has been building their military, so is Russia and Iran actually, while we haven't been. We're declining in power. And that's because of our moral root rot. We're focused on the wrong things. Pentagon rattled by Chinese military push on multiple fronts. China's getting ra radically aggressive. You watch Taiwan in the South China Sea. If you want to pray for the world, pray that China does not make its move on Taiwan. That will force us up against how we respond will determine whether the world stays peaceful or we head to World War III. And right now with our current administration, I'm afraid that we won't respond as robustly as we need to. So we need to be praying for that because if the enemies of the cross, and China is an enemy of the cross, the government is, if the enemies of the cross lose their fear of America, you know what China did to the Uyghurs? If you've been reading the news, they have two million Muslims in concentration camps. And you know what? The world didn't react. You know what that told them? Now we can do the same thing to the Christians. And they're starting to. So you guys, we've got we've to rebuild our moral foundations and be strong. Part of the problem is mathematicians are saying China rises as world STEM leader while American schools place diversity first. STEM, science technology, engineering, math. It's what you need to keep a strong civilization. We're not teaching it as much in our schools anymore. We're focused on stuff that, while important, is not the highest priority right now. By President Biden, God bless him, pray for him every day. He loosened up all the restrictions on Iran that some of our previous presidents had placed and about a year ago. First thing he did when he got in office, one of the first things, loosen up the restrictions on Iran. Guess what? Now he says, like last week or so, 
Starting to be a problem, Biden scrambles to stop Iran's increasingly dangerous nuclear program. He goes, wow, we loosened up restrictions and they started building nuclear weapons stuff. <laughs> wow, that's a problem. See, that's the problem with people who don't know Christ. They don't have wisdom, right? And so they're stunned. He's shocked that Iran, instead of being good, actually built nuclear weapons. So we're living in a more dangerous world. You guys, I've read a thousand books on the rise and fall of civilizations and international relations. And here's the top 600 of them in my living room. Every one of them says America is in civilizational collapse and it can't be turned around. Every single one says there's no hope. But right above it, I have a plaque with a scripture on it that says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And I put that over, it's over them, because Jesus said, I will put them uh, as a footstool under your feet, right? So I believe God can do this, but only God, and that's where faithful churches like yours, you know, need to rise up in this hour. We're going to talk about that, okay? Okay, you guys, seven phases in the lifespan of a superpower, right? All superpowers. There have been 26 before us in history. They go through seven phases, all on, on average in 238 years, right? We're now 244 years old. We're six years beyond our expiration date. So it's no wonder that we're seeing American collapse. There's outburst when the, the superpower first comes on the scene. That was 76, 1776. Conquest stage is when they first exert their military power on the world stage. That was World War I and World War II for us. Then there's commerce. So after World War II, we were the only economy left standing, we became very wealthy as we were the only ones really that had a sound economy. That leads to affluence, which began for us in 1950, expansion of suburbs, people buying homes, cars. Then that leads to the stage called intellect, where your academics and intelligentsia lose their mind and go crazy. And they start inventing 107 genders and many other things, right? And so we hit the intellect stage in 65. It is now taken over all of our universities, except there's a new university starting in Austin called the University of Austin by some of the top conservative uh, thinkers uh, that we have in America, some Christ mostly unbelievers, uh, but some Christians. And man, if I had a kid, I'd send them to that university instead of any other one, because all the rest are thinking a lot of stupid things, right? That leads to a stage called decadence, moral decay. Ours was 85 to to today, we're in decadence. We're in massive moral decay and fixing that is the only way to save America. It doesn't, I tell people, it doesn't matter if Trump, that Trump didn't get elected. All he was doing, he was buying us time. Really, he was good for the church, but him getting reelected would not have saved us because there's no hope in politics. Our only hope is in Jesus um, and rebuilding the moral foundations. It doesn't matter who's in the office if the foundation is rotten and the whole office is collapsing. Now I'm hoping, I personally I'll tell you how I'm praying. I'm praying for DeSantis for president in 2024. Sorry, I'm getting political, you know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. We need to be praying into the future, you guys. 
we need to pray whoever. I don't care what party they are. I am, I, my hope is in Jesus, not in political parties. I'll take a president from either party as long as they're moral and are rebuilding uh, our moral Judeo-Christian foundations. I will take him, Democrat, Libertarian, Republican, I don't care. A moral man. Okay, let me tell you where you're, we're at so you can be praying. We've got to be praying. We've got to be on our knees. There's an 80-year institutional cycle in America. Every 80 years, we reconfigure our whole government because as the country grows and progresses, um, the systems no longer work. So every 80 years, we redo our institute governmental systems. There's a second cycle that happens every 50 years where we redo how our economy and social system uh, work together, okay? And so this is the first time in our history where both of those cycles are hitting the wall at the same time. You can see the institutional cycle, the blue. Um, one of the advantages we've had is each cycle hit the wall at a different time. So it's like getting punched, right? We could absorb the punches because we're only getting one punch. But for the first time in history, we're getting two significant punches at the same time. So how is the current administration redoing our government and redoing our social economic system, our government? How about let's pack the Supreme Court? How about let's add two more states so we have four more senators voting on our side? How about um, uh, let's do away with the Electoral College, right? They're wanting to reshape the government in radical ways that will be detrimental to the republic. And I'll tell you why maintaining a republic is important for missions in a minute, okay? How are they doing it socioeconomically? Uh, shut down all businesses. You know who's getting wealthy? Walmart, Amazon, all the biggies are getting wealthy. 78% of American business is small business, right? 78%. And most of the mom and pops and small businesses are being damaged through the pandemic. And then the government is spending trillions of dollars we don't have and giving stimulus money to people. So it's making people less desirous to go back to work. In fact, we have what's called the great resignation is that the majority of people are resigning their jobs. It's up in like the 80 percentile because of the social economic system. You know what they're trying to move us towards? Universal basic income. That's what they're trying to move us towards, a more socialistic system. So we've got to be praying that the current administration's agenda in these two regards don't happen. Why? Because we have a destiny in America. You guys, COVID-19 is more transformational than the collapse of communism in 89. And the enemies of the cross are using it to transform the whole global system, including here, in ways that we don't like. But this is our greatest opportunity also for the church to be transformed so we can fulfill our destiny. What is the destiny of America? Right here, first landing, Cape Henry, Virginia, 1607. The first time the British came to North America. The first thing they did, they landed on the shore, Cape Henry. They took down the mast of the ship. 
They formed it into a cross and they stuck it in the sand. That's the very first thing they did. Then an Anglican priest named Robert Hunt, the first words they said over this country were right here. He said, we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us and with those generations take the kingdom of God to all the earth. This is what this continent was dedicated towards. This is why the enemy is against us to try to tear us down and to destroy the church because we are called by God to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. He said, um, may this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains. And may this land, along with England, England be evangelist to the world. This is what they prayed, the first words the British spoke here. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here. And may those who come here to inhabit the country join us in this covenant and in this most noble work that the holy scriptures may be fulfilled that's what we need to get back to you guys that's our destiny as a nation is to literally bring the gospel to the ends of the earth we've been doing that we've been the largest sender of missions by over 400 percent we brazil the second largest mission sending country they send three thirty thousand uh missionaries that's four times less than us. We send about 130,000 full-time missionaries, see? So if the enemy can destroy America, he will take out global evangelization for decades to come. That's why we need to rebuild our moral foundations and see our country saved. They knew there at the founding what uh, this country was all about. It's Psalm 2.8. God says, ask of me. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You guys, and you guys have been part of it with my ministry and other missionaries you support. You have the best missionaries in the right strategic places in the world doing the right things. You've been on target for decades. You're my hero church. You know, I'm like... I wish you would all get cloned and make lots of you. That's what I really wish, because you understand this. It's all about the nations. God says, see, I appoint you over nations. That's his calling on us, is over nations, including our nation. Not to rule with an iron fist, but to share the love, tenderness, mercy, compassion of God, to be able to present who God is in all his beauty to people who don't know him so they can follow him and be blessed like we are. But God's called us to rule over nations, right? And I believe it. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. It's only a matter of time, right? And it's either America will turn around, and I believe we only have maximum probably three years. I'm serious. As a global analyst, I think three years tops. Um, we only, so we've got to work hard. We'll either do it in our generation or it's going to happen generations down the road. I'd rather be in on it and see the glory of God and the power of God in our lifetime, okay? So where are we at in world evangelization? 7.8 billion people in the world. 3.3 billion are unreached, don't have the gospel. 3.3 billion unreached Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists don't have the gospel. That's 42% of the world's population. 1,600 languages still that don't have a Bible translation. So we've got work to do. You know where we were at? Most of them live in that part of the world that we call the 1040 window, 10 degrees above the equator to 40, northern Africa, the Middle East, Asia. That's where those 3.2 
billion live who need the gospel yet. Before the pandemic, we were on track to reach them by the year 2035. You know what? I've been meeting with other global strategists, and we believe we can still do it if the church will rise up with faith and power in this hour. We can still meet that target of 2035. Before the pandemic, we were on track to translate the Bible into the 1600 languages. By 2033, that's the 2000 year anniversary of the resurrection. We wanted to give that to Jesus. Here's, here's an anniversary present, Jesus. The Bible is now in every language on earth. And we can still do that with God's help. In fact, there's a coalition. Let me tell you good news. Despite all the bad news, some good news. There's a coalition of all the Bible translation agencies, the 10 top ones, Wycliffe and others. And God has blessed that coalition. They just in uh, literally in just a couple weeks raised $87 million in order to complete all the translations. And God's already provided the money to complete those translations out of America, see? And that's our destiny, is to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. So despite the darkness, God's on the move. You're part of it because of your faithfulness. These are your victories too as a church, right? So what's it going to take? A lot of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here's number one thing. First, pray. Number two, we must grow in faith. We must not look at the darkness and say, oh no, we're doomed. We need to look at the giant square in the face and say, who are these uncircumcised Philistines who raise their fist against the armies of the living God? Our God will rule on the planet. Faith isn't ignoring the darkness. Faith is looking straight at the giants and saying, our God is bigger. You have no right to do what you're doing. We need to rise up with that kind of faith, right? Okay, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do we get that faith? This is the, so first, we need to be praying. Secondly, we need to grow in faith. You do whatever you need to do to grow in faith. You know what I do? I tell God, I've told God, you put me in situations where I have to believe you when it's so uncomfortable and it makes my life miserable, so to speak. You do that. I pray for that, you know, for affliction and challenges. And I pray for all of that so that... I can grow in my faith. God, this is an opportunity to grow in faith. Help me through this, God, see? And so uh, I'm just going to tell you, whether you pray that way or not, which most people don't because they're not masochists, <laughs> um, trials and tribulations are coming. The inflation is only going to get worse. The global economists say, don't listen to the politicians, minimum through 2023 with increasing inflation. In fact, we crossed a line where it's like the hole has been punched in the bottom of the boat and it's filling up. There's no way to stop it now. It's going to be run away, you know, according to the global economists. So you don't have to pray for tribulations. It's coming. But in the middle of it, say, my God is bigger. You can meet all my needs. You're Jehovah Jireh. You're the healer, provider, the God of the universe, right? That's what we need to be able to rise up. To do that, what do we need to do? Uh, we need to overcome fear, so we need to pray, we need to grow in faith. Number three, we need to overcome fear. Do you know this pandemic 
is by far the least fatal pandemic in history. It is, by far, and yet we've shut down our whole economy and destroyed the global economy, destroyed the supply system over a pandemic that is the least fatal in all of history. And what is driving it? Fear. The majority of the country doesn't know God, so this life is the only life they have, so they're freaked out. It's like, stay away, social distance, masks, you know, three vaccinations, booster shots, everything. They're freaking out because they're in fear because they know they don't have a life after this one. This is all there is. And many Christians have been caught up in fear. Let me tell you, in those two months when I was dying, I didn't have fear for a second because I knew who God is, that he's why. Yeah, I knew he could heal me or take me home and either one was going to be great. I had no fear and I refused to live in fear now. And so we've got to get over our fear, fear of the economy, fear of the pandemic, and we've got to be bold. You know what? Most, all countries have kicked out missionaries during the pandemic. As a result, in the last year, global salvations have gone down by 30 to 40%. And so we've got to get over it and go for it. I, there's a young missionary I know. Listen, horrible story from India. He married an Indian YWAMer from the same mission I am. He was married to an Indian YWAMer. They had a three-year-old. She was pregnant. And earlier this year... Um, nine and a half, no, eight and a half months pregnant, she got COVID, was in the hospital, delivered the baby, died the next day, right? So the government kicked out my friend, uh, and he suddenly has, his wife has died, he's got a three-year-old and a brand new baby he's got to raise on his own. So he's been back here in the States. I saw him just a couple weeks ago. You know, he came through Colorado Springs. I said, what's your plan? He said, Fred, we may be down, but we're not out. He said, we're taking India for Jesus. He said, you know what happened? I didn't know this, but my parents and my wife, who passed away, her parents started to talk and they did an Indian arranged marriage. They said they decided to marry, that I should marry my former wife's older sister. She's two years older. He said, and I'm going to marry her. And, and so that's going to give me a way back into India too to preach the gospel. He said, the good news is I really like her anyway. And he said, the even better news is I don't have to break in a new set of, of in-laws. <laughs> so see, that's the spirit. That's the spirit. They can't keep me out. I will do whatever I need to do to get back in to preach the gospel. Like Paul said, I'm compelled to preach the gospel. We need to rise up in faith. We need to overcome fear, you know. And the way to do that is this. Oh my gosh, I'm over. It's okay. I've got to wrap it up quick. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me tell you, here's the way we've got to do this. How do you grow your faith? How do you overcome fear? It's, David said to God, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. You guys, we need to learn how to seek God's face. Most Christians don't seek God's face. You know what they do? They do this. It says in Psalm 103, God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. 
Seeking God's face is understanding God's nature, his character, his ways, just by spending time with him. Understanding his acts. Oh, I prayed for the visa bill and he paid it off. Oh, I needed healing, he healed me. Oh, I needed a parking space or whatever it is you pray, his acts. And I would, I tell you from my own experience, the vast majority of Christians are just like the Israelites. They know God at his acts level, what he can do for them, what he has done. Very few sit in the presence of God and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to understand not only what you do, I want to understand why you do the things you do. I want to understand your ways. I want to understand your character. See, not just what you do, I want to understand why you do it, how you you do it, etc. And that's when we have that kind of connection with God, that's what builds our faith and overcomes fear. So we need to do that, okay? Uh, through consistent time with God, okay? So what do we have to do, you guys, to save America, complete world evangelization? We have to do, Joel gave us a promise, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. We need a revival in the church that leads to awakening in our country if we're going to see it turn around. What does God promise? Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. He will save our country if we turn to him. So here, let me tell you what you're involved with and you didn't even know it. Because what God's called me to do is lead a movement towards revival in America. So we've been working on it for, well, I've been working on it about 15 years, slowly. But in the past year and a half, God is moving with great power. We're calling it the Great Awakening Project. Our goal, 30% of the country, that's 100 million people minimum, radically in touch with God, repenting of their sins, understanding, seeking God's face, and becoming evangelistic, radically evangelistic. We're nowhere near that in America. That's our goal. We have 150 of the top leaders uh, Christian leaders in America and all, every one of the seven mountains working together. We've developed a plan over the last year. We're going to have a big launch conference uh, in May uh, for tens of thousands of pastors to say, here's the need, here's the answer. We're here to come alongside your church and help you with everything you need in order to see revival and awakening in your church. Don't have time to tell you that. Oh, that's really good. Uh, <laughs> Here are just some of the partners so you can see. Christ for All Nations, Daniel Kalenda, big evangelist in Africa, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. He believes we can see evangelistic campaigns in 10 American cities at a time. And our goal is to re-evangelize all of our American cities, right? Uh, Mike Bickle from IHOP, leading in prayer. Every Home for Christ, Dick Eastman. Uh, Ron Luce, right here in Dallas, used to be Teen Mania, Choir of the Fire. Uh, he's helping to lead Next Generation. Uh, the Hispanic Action Network, Mark Gonzalez. Others, incredible people uh, who are committed to revival in the church and awakening in America. And we're going to, we're going to start seeing it this coming year. See this last one? Billion Soul Harvest, that's the spirit. Louise Bush led the 82,000 movement when I first connected with Sojourn during the 90s, 82,000. Well, Louise is way older than me. I'm 68. I feel 67 and a half. But, uh, but I've got energy to... Uh. Anyway, you know what Louise, Louise is, 
in his 70s. And instead of just being retired, you know what he said? He said, you know what we're going to do? Let's do another thing like 82,000, which turned out to be the greatest evangelistic thrust the church has ever done. He said, let's go for a billion souls by 2030. That's the spirit of David that God is awakening in the church. October, we had, uh, in Colorado Springs, we had an organizational meeting. There were... 165 top leaders from 45 nations, you know, and Luis said, come over here, get a picture with me, right? So, so we're going for it again, like we did in 82,000. You guys are coming along for the journey, sorry. It's gonna be a blast, okay? If you wanna know more about Great Awakening Project, go there to gapmovement.com. You can put your email address in and um, we'll send you updates. We're gonna be pumping out daily prayers for America from people like Lou Engel, Dutch Sheets, Dick Eastman and others to get us praying for our country for revival. Let me tell you what I'm doing. I need your prayers, so I'm gonna be quick. You guys, my ministry, why we am send? God, three years ago, said make a logo of mountains and an arrow going forward, right? And ascend, we want to ascend to the mountain of God. We want to claim, you know, claim our mountain, climb our mountain, ascend up to the heights and implement the victory of Christ. And we're in Birmingham, Alabama, no mountains. We thought, well, that's cool. We'll have a mountain logo. But guess what? We were praying and fasting uh, just a couple months ago, my whole team, and we said we need 200,000 new missionaries from the USA in the next 10 to 15 years. What's our part? God spoke we're to recruit, train, and send at least 10,000 of those by 2030 or shortly after. And then he spoke, do it in Montana. I said, we're in Birmingham. And God said, move to Montana. We said, this is, I said, this is crazy, you know. And then I said, whoa, that makes sense why he gave us this mountain logo. <laughs> you know, now we see that God was planning this. So you guys, we did a property search. Here's um, my house. I had a property given to me a number of years ago in Montana. Here's a mountain that you can see from my porch. It's called Billiard Table, a beautiful mountain. Here's the backside of it. We found a property that will literally house right now, we can run turnkey 120 missionaries before we, at a time, training, before we even uh, build anything in this beautiful protected place in Montana. That's, and we're going to, we're moving there, <laughs> our whole ministry, with the purpose of launching minimum 10,000 missionaries to the unreached by the year 2030. Okay, now the guy who built it wanted to make it look like Bavaria. And all he had is pictures from Disneyland and Las Vegas. So we've got to tone it down. I'm serious. He had a scrapbook of Disneyland in Las Vegas. And so he made, it's, he made we're going to tone it down, right? Everything is just a Disneyland version of Bavaria. But you guys, it's got dorms for 120, just radical. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's ready for us to move in. It's even got a pizza oven in the fireplace. Beautiful chapel, fire truck, bulldozer, everything else. And two of my young uh, leader families are taking on the leadership to leave me free to run Great Awakening Project. So you guys, we're, instead of saying, I'm 68, I'm really ready to relax. I'm going, I'm 68, come on, let's build a whole new training center. 
because if we're going to get 200,000 new missionaries, we need more training centers than we already have. I'm up for it, God, okay? So listen, that's the spirit we need, okay? So we're running. Here's, I'm going to shut up right now. <laughs> In like, we're running, you guys. Here's what I need. Listen, tell everyone you know. We're ready to go. April 2nd, we'll run our first discipleship training school there. We're running two schools. One, the Great Awakening Project, DTS. I need workers that will help all of us in leading, running, administering the Great Awakening Project. If you know anyone who wants to dedicate their life to serve God for awakening and revival, send them to us April 2nd. Number two, we're saying not only are we going to save America, we're launching out a fresh, a new thrust into the Muslim world. We're doing it. You can't get in as missionaries. We're doing adventure tourism businesses, which are big. And so I can't tell you what we're calling it, but we need, we're calling it uncharted DTS, right? We need people who want to climb mountains, who want to drive these things called Sherps and Jeeps and camp and hunt and fish. But this country where we're starting has become the vacation spot for the entire Muslim world. It's in the Caucasus Mountains. It's like Colorado High Mountains. Built two world-class uh, ski resorts. And now it is the vacation spot. I was in an off-season. I was at a ski resort in the afternoon. Met three Arab sheikhs from three of the biggest Muslim countries in the world. And a Pakistani movie star and his whole entourage who's taking pictures with us like this, right? And so it's a place to evangelize the world. You guys, here's so if you know young people who love the outdoors and want to be part of a brand new church planting thrust into uh, Central Asia, send them April 2nd to our Uncharted DTS, okay? Uh, April 2nd, 2002, send them to our website, ywmascend.com. Last thing I'm going to ask you, in order to do that, I need $4 million by December 31st. I have none of it. But I'm like, woohoo, 40 days, 100,000 a day, God can do it. See, we've got to be people of faith, have no clue where it's coming from, zero clue. The day before, we, Thursday, we need to sign a contract by Saturday, and we needed 30,000 um, earnest money. You guys, the Thursday before, we got a phone call from a friend of the ministry, didn't know what was going on, said, God just told me to give you 897 shares of General Electric. We looked at what it was. It was $100,000, which was more than we needed on Saturday. And we said, woohoo. He said, it'll take about two weeks to transfer it from my bank to yours. And we said, what bank are you? He said, Wells Fargo. I said, that's the bank we have our account with. The bank transferred it in 10 minutes. And then on Saturday morning, we wrote the check for $30,000. That gives me hope for the rest of the $4 million, okay? This is the kind of faith we need. We need to be bold in faith. We need to decimate our fear. We need to seek God's face. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And I'm going to end with this scripture. This is one of my themes. I'm telling you, the whole world is dark. Countries are rising above America. War could be coming. Inflation. But the Israelites prayed in 2 Chronicles 20.12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them, the enemy? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
if you seek the face of God, we can rise up as the church of Jesus Christ and fulfill the original dedication that, uh, that uh, the Anglican priest prayed out <laughs> on the shore. This place is to evangelize the world. You guys have been a big part of it all along for decades. We've got many decades ahead. God bless you guys.